0: World class athletes, great coaches. What do they do when they're at their best? We don't take no for an answer. We don't, we don't take, take no, no for an answer. answer. We don't take, we don't take no, no for an answer. Leave no doubt tonight. Leave no doubt tonight. No doubt. We're going to get him on the run, boys. Once we get him on the run, we're going to keep him on the run. And then we're going to go, 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 go. And we're not going to stop until we get across that goal line. Now you kids are probably saying to yourselves, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get the world by the tail and wrap it around and pull it down and put it in my pocket. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of the Art of Coaching podcast. Hope everybody is doing well. This week, what we're going to touch on is vulnerability in leadership, and this is an interesting topic because many of us are in positions whether we're coaches, business owners, leaders, managers, CEOs, what have you, where we often feel like we can't be vulnerable, we can't show weakness, we can't show imperfection. And trust me, like we're not going to go on the other end of the spectrum here and say that you need to be, you know, this, uh, you know, warm kind of. Uh, I don't know. Super emotional, kind of crybaby. That's that's not the point. We're not we're not telling you to lay down on people's couches and have therapy sessions. What it does speak to, though, is authenticity and being genuine and understanding that most people don't relate to perfection. And this is something we've briefly mentioned before, and we'll talk about in the future. But you see it the world over. You know, uh, a team starts doing well, and people jump on the bandwagon. They do two two they have too much success over a series of years or perhaps a decade, they all of a sudden organically grow haters. People don't like to see widespread consistent success because oftentimes it reminds them of their inadequacies. And it's hard for people to relate to those that are doing extremely well. I mean, you hear about celebrities that private jets all over the world have assistants, have chefs, and, and some people are you know, very happy about that. And other people think, oh, that's a pampered individual. You know, they've got it easy. They've got it this, they've got it that. And the point is, is, you know, if you surround yourself or if you try to make yourself out to be, whether consciously or or subconsciously, somebody that's always got it all figured out, somebody that has a routine or a method or something for, for everything and that nothing ever stumps you, you can't be surprised when you start feeling some pushback you can 't be surprised when you have athletes or individuals or colleagues or coworkers that start to distance themselves a little bit because they feel like you 're not one of them. You know one story I, I talked about recently on a podcast was about an athlete that I had worked with who you know he we had a tremendously difficult time relating to each other at first. He came from a broken home, he came from a host of, of different situations, and the way that that guy saw me was just as some white kid from the suburbs, somebody that hadn't gone through a whole lot. Now, granted, he didn't know much about me, but that's because I never really talked to my athletes about my personal life. I just never thought that that was something I needed to do. I, you know, I wanted to maintain a, a strong professional boundary, which you can certainly do. The two are not mutually exclusive, right? Opening up about parts of, of your life, whether that's hobbies, whether that's family, you know, those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Of course, there's, there's a professional boundary and there's a spectrum and we'll talk about that but you know it's also what leads to uh, a bridge that connects the two of you so i remember you know one time this athlete had broken down and had a particularly bad day and i'm not going to go into his name but he was talking about how you know he had made it into the NFL and a lot of his family was was poor and he had given to many of them he had bought his mother a house he had he had taken care of, of a number of his siblings but he had gone on a trip recently to las vegas and It was more of a relaxing trip, went and did the whole staycation thing, but when he came back, he just had tons of basically hate mail from some of his own family, extended family, people that he hadn't even heard from in years until he had even made it to the NFL, basically calling him selfish, calling him a host of names, disowning him, and attacking him because he was spending money on himself when they felt like he could have helped more members of their family. And it got to the guy so much that he actually started breaking down more like tears of anger as he was recounting the story than anything else. And this was just, you know, slightly before a session. He had came in about 20 minutes prior to the session, start to have some physical therapy. And you could tell just from his body language that he was in a terrible, terrible mood. And so it all started when I went over to kind of chat with him. And, you know, I made the mistake of saying, listen, man, I understand. And he cut me off right there. And he's like, you don't understand you haven't been where I've been. And I, I realized my mistake right there. I was trying to be empathetic and empathy really isn't the hallmark trait that, that we think it is. We talked about this on an earlier episode, but you know if you look at apathy, not caring about anything at all, almost kind of this detachment on one end of the spectrum, <coughs> excuse me, I'm fighting a cold. On the other end of the spectrum is empathy. That's almost kind of being too attached. It's it's I feel what you feel, right? Like a surgeon can't have high levels of empathy because if somebody comes in with, you know, 45 stab wounds, they're going to get so emotionally, um, you know, just pulled into that situation and, and the urgency of it, they wouldn't be able to make the, the clinical, educated, logical decisions that they do. And so what research suggests is that really what we need is compassion. Compassion is that middle ground between empathy and apathy, And it lets people know, hey, like I can appreciate what's going on here, um, you know, and I'm sympathetic to it to a degree. But we've also got to we've got to find a way to move forward. Right. And and that's really what is the most pragmatic uh, trait amongst leaders, CEOs. They even look at EMTs, firefighters, um, surgeons, because people have to distance themselves just enough from tragic situations so that they can act so that they can help. So I remember me trying to tell this guy like, "Hey, I get it." You know, I was trying to be empathetic, but really what it did was insult him because he's like, "You don't get it, man. Like what do you know about my life?" And I had a decision to make there. I mean, the group was about to start, you know, this has now kind of devolved into a little bit of a um a conflict, you know, a light one. He was just kind of trying to feel me out and and, and express himself, but I remember I said, "Listen, dude, like yeah, I can't. I can't relate to being rich. I can't relate to feeling like the weight of of my like success weighs on taking care of my family and this and that. And plus, at the time, you know, I, I hadn't achieved any any kind of success. I still don't think I have. I'm not that kind of person. Being raised in the Midwest, you're taught to be you know always grateful but never satisfied. So, I said, what I can relate to is this, man, and. You know, I've been hospitalized. My brother got stabbed when I was an intern. You know, my parents were divorced growing up. I saw one of my close friends basically OD'd on either meth or cocaine. Don't really know what it was. Um, one time when we were walking through an open house and my family and I were moving and it happened we were looking at a house that ended up being his. And I just remember like seeing this dude on the bed. And I just kind of went through some things that I had experienced. And he was just like, Taken aback. And it wasn't that he was in awe of what I had gone through. My story is no more dramatic or better or worse than anybody else's. It was a fact that he just wanted somebody to relate to in that moment at some level. At some level. Like, you didn't have to be him. You didn't have to be his best friend. You didn't need to, like, uh, try to match him tit for tat or one-up him. He just wanted somebody that understood some kind of frustration or struggle. And when I could lay that out for him, that bridged a gap in our relationship And I think that that's a problem today in, in coaching and leadership is people feel like if I show a part of myself, you know, when, when these guys need to listen to me, they're not going to respect me. And guys, I'm using that term kind of colloquially. I mean, just people, right? Male, female, what have you. The people I work with aren't going to, aren't going to respect me. They're going to see me as weak. What's real weakness is feigning. Like you have to be perfect. What's real insecurity is putting on a front. What is real, like, what is, what, what is real struggle is, is waking up day after day going to work with people that don't really know you, but you expect them to believe your mission and your vision. That's not gonna lead to anywhere good. You know, at the beginning, you might have some sparks fly, and, and people might be motivated or inspired by, by things that you do or things that you implement or the words that you use but long-term people want to relate. They want to belong. You know, I talk about it quite a bit in some of the lectures that I give is, you know, there are four primary drives and the drive, one of them is the drive to bond. That's one of the strongest drives in human nature. That's why from the beginning of time when we could communicate, uh, you know, once we got to the period of time where we could communicate, we were bonding together in tribes. I mean, people knew it gave them a better chance for survival. Everybody had different skills. And even though there was fierce competition for scarce resources, we had to find a common bond if we were going to have a bigger goal. And listen, it wasn't a problem that, you know, some people in those tribes didn't know how to uh, maybe hunt as well as others. And, and some didn't know how to make fire as well as others. And some didn't know how to even communicate as well as others. They found a way to do that collectively within a group by identifying and acknowledging Mutual weaknesses and finding ways to fill those gaps. And that's what being part of an integrated team is supposed to mean You're not supposed to be everything to everyone. You're not supposed to have all the answers You're not supposed to be able to solve Everybody's problem. What you are supposed to be able to do is relate to them Guide them be there for them and help them figure it out And and sometimes that's as a devil's advocate. Sometimes that's a direct mentor. Sometimes it's shutting up and listening and I think that's another undervalued leadership trait. We talk about the value of uh, vulnerability. But what about just, you know, the fact that most people just don't know how to listen? And they may sit there and passively listen, but like flip your phone over, turn it on airplane mode, and listen to somebody. And not only that, follow up with questions. So if somebody's talking to you, one of the easiest ways you can let them know that you're listening is just reflective, reflective listening or practice. Repeat what they said. Try to get the deeper meaning out of it so that you can be more helpful and then have follow up questions or share something that that you either understand or struggle with in that same regard. So this isn't mind blowing. And I told you at the beginning of this podcast, nothing we are going to talk about is. There's no bags of goods here. Nobody's trying to sell uh, any one size fits all solution or hack. We will find it repeatedly in life that the things that we struggle with are the most simple. They are the ability to listen, the ability to be grateful. The ability to admit weakness or fault, the ability to, to, to learn how you know, to evolve as peoples and professionals is critical if we're going to have sustained, long-term, high-level success. It's not going to be immediate. It's going to take time. And you know, many of you listening may not even know what your weaknesses are. You may have shrouded them so deeply into other things and, and just like, you know, there's always an excuse for something or an external focus. I remember one time, one of the the most valuable times for me in my career is I was in the Denver airport and it was a massive layover. I was trying to get home for the holidays and I wanted to just kind of go through an exercise because I felt like I had just gotten, you know, a performance review at my job. I don't really feel like it gave me feedback uh, that I was looking for as a professional. It was more, um, I don't know, it was more kind of surface level. It was almost as if they were scared to insult anybody or make them angry. So none of it really got deep. And so I was like, all right, you know, I'm gonna do kind of this one-on-one drill where I'm gonna ask myself a lot of tough questions. And like no BS either, like this has gotta be very clear. And so no no PR answers, no contrived kind of statements that, that redirect the focus. What does it mean, all right? So what did I want to accomplish in my career? Why did I want to accomplish that? What did that look like as a professional? And as a person, you know, meaning what 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 did success mean in my professional life and my personal life? What would that day feel like? What would my actions be? How would my wife or kids perceive me if I did or did not accomplish that? What would they recognize about help me accomplishing that? You know, and a brief example that I always give is, you know, some people would say, well, hey, why do you do what you do? Oh, to make a difference. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to want to make a difference? Like, what are you trying to make a difference in? Why are you trying to make a difference in that area or in that way? What ways are you succeeding in that regard? What ways are you failing? And what are the, what are the things that lead to you succeeding or failing? How can you create an environment that decreases the likelihood of you failing in that circumstance? Right? There are so many more questions, and some of you will recognize this as motivational interviewing. You can call it whatever you want. I call it being real with yourself. Because if you do not have self-awareness if you cannot display vulnerability, you're going to be an awful coach. You're going to be an awful coach and you're going to be an awful leader. And it's the, it's the quick path to the Dunning-Kruger effect where you feel like you are far more competent than you really are. These are things I can speak to, guys, because I've lived them. You know, I've lived them. I've, I, I've, I've, I've wanted to, you know, I, I prayed at night that I would be the best, one of the best strength coaches in the world. Like, what did that even mean? Who is... Who's going to judge that? What does that look like? Like, I'm in a field where we can't even really quantitatively and fully, you know, evaluate what that means. There's great strength coaches that work at institutions or with athletes that that don't always experience success. Does that mean those aren't good coaches? Heck no. Some of the best coaches in the world right now are working with 13-year-olds that can barely walk, blink, and breathe at the same time. Not all those kids are going to grow up to be pro athletes. Is that coach horrible in that regard? No, a coach's effectiveness and utility are based upon their ability to adapt, identify, and analyze variables that impact human performance and alter those things to the best of their ability. But before you do that, you've got to do that to yourself. So the call to action, I'd ask you guys to sit down and write out 10 questions. Again, what what's your goal personally and professionally? What does that look like? What will that entail? What are you really struggling with right now that you're scared to admit? What would you never want your boss to find out? What would you never want your significant other, wife, husband, whatever, to find out, whether it's just a weakness, a, you don't know how to do something, or that you asked for help on this project? What's something that you're ashamed of, and where did that feeling come from, and what have you done to ameliorate it? Right. So questions like these. I'm not going to give you you know, homework assignment. and say it has to be these 10 questions, but things like that. And the biggest thing is, you know, thinking about how you evaluate not only yourself, but your staff year in and year out. And or if you're a coach listening to this and you don't have a staff, you're working for an organization or what have you, like where do the questions in which you derive that evaluation come from? You know, I have a coaching evaluation form that that I use after a wide variety of or a large number of sessions. And it's like, hey, what? What coaching style was used? What was the goal of this session? Why was that the goal? Was it achieved? Did it, what helped you achieve those things? What could have been done better next time? And it makes me think about everything from my tone of voice, my body language, logistical management, set and flow, all these pieces. Because the vast, pers- the biggest percentage of what we do in our success comes from logistics and relationships. And relationships come from vulnerable, being vulnerable, self-reflective action-oriented and patience we've got to be patient in this process guys that's it for today i hope in this kind of micro segment i gave you some things to think about again be vulnerable understand that there's a limit there nobody's saying tell your life story to people nobody's saying that this is a dr phil or, or oprah thing what i'm saying is don't be afraid to admit your faults don't put on a show don't listen to what half of the pop psychology leadership books tell you that you have to be perfect. Remember, somebody that never admits their mistakes is somebody that you can very rarely trust. It's a facade. It's not real. And in today's always connected society, part of the reason we're still starving for actual connection is because people are afraid to be themselves. Thanks again. If you guys want to learn more, go to artofcoaching.com or you can uh, follow me on Instagram at at coach underscore Brett B., And feel free to send your feedback, suggestions, anything on the show to info at artofcoaching.com. Thanks again, guys. Have a great rest of the week.